What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Our episodes deal with serious and often distressing incidents that may not be suitable for children. If you struggle with addiction, feel depressed or have suicidal thoughts and you need support, please contact your local crisis centre or reach out to a friend to ask for help. On November 13th, 1974, In the early hours of the morning of a quiet suburb of Amityville, New York, six members of the DeFeo family would be shot in their beds at close range with a 35 caliber rifle. All six of the victims were found face down with no signs of a struggle. Neighbors claimed they didn't hear any gunshots being fired and those who were awake at the time of the murders simply heard the family's sheepdog, Shaggy, barking. 23-year-old Ronald Butch DeFeo Jr., the eldest child, and the only family member to survive the massacre, initially tried to pin the murders on a mob hitman, but confessed one day later to killing his family. Dead were his parents, Louise and Ronald DeFeo Sr., and his siblings, 18-year-old Dawn, 13-year-old Allison, 12-year-old Mark, and 9-year-old John Matthew. Join us on a supernatural journey as we tell the chilling tale of the DeFeo family. We investigate their dark and gruesome murders that would later lead to the terrifying haunting of their former home, located at 112 Ocean Avenue. This is Death by Misadventure. draws a couple together. The story of the DeFeo family is a chilling tale of two people who appeared to have a picture-perfect marriage, but behind closed doors, darkness lurked inside. Ronald DeFeo Sr., a handsome young man called Big Ronnie by his friends, met and fell in love with his future wife, Louise. Louise came from a well-to-do family who owned a Brooklyn Buick dealership. However, Her parents were not impressed with Big Ronnie, and they forbid her to date him. 
but she ignored her family's wishes, and after a brief courtship, she married Big Ronnie. Since the Brigantes disapproved of their relationship, they decided to apply some tough love and cut all ties with the newlyweds until September 26, 1951, when their first son, Ronald Butch DeFeo Jr., was born. Both Scorpios, Big Ronnie and Louise had a volatile relationship and would constantly fight. Ronnie Jr., a sensitive child, became anxious and insecure when his parents argued. His father was a domineering and abusive man who controlled the DeFeo home with an iron fist, and his mother was too afraid to stand up to her husband, so she went along with his outrageous demands. However, just a few years later, Ronnie Jr., now nicknamed Butch, would soon become a big brother. On July 29, 1956, Louise gave birth to a daughter, Dawn Teresa DeFeo. A few years later, another daughter, Allison, followed by a son, Mark, and the youngest, John, born on October 10, 1965. As the DeFeo family continued to grow, so did Butch's emotional problems. He was the frequent target of his father's abuse, and he suffered greatly as a child. It only got worse at school, where he was bullied for being overweight. Bigger kids would make fun of him, calling him names like The Blob, Bucky Beaver, and Porkchop. Shortly after he turned 14, the DeFeo family moved from their modest Brooklyn apartment to the affluent Long Island South Shore community of Amityville. The couple bought a beautiful Dutch colonial home built in 1927, located at 112 Ocean Avenue for $120,000. It featured five bedrooms, three bathrooms, plus a swimming pool and a boathouse. Yes, on the outside, the DeFeos look like a picture-perfect family, but behind closed doors, the marriage and the children's life was a living hell. Butch, who was now in high school, began to lash out at his father, as well as his friends at school. His mother was so concerned about his well-being, she took him to see a therapist. But the rebellious young teen didn't want help, and his behavior continued to get worse. After Butch refused to continue counseling, the DeFeos decided to try another tactic. The wealthy parents used the incentive of cash and presents, including a $14,000 speedboat, in the hopes that the gifts would soothe their troubled son. But the new tactic only made the problems worse. By the age of 17, Butch began dabbling in LSD and heroin and was expelled from school for his violent outbursts. Still, his parents continued to reward his bad behavior. According to Biography.com, at the age of 18, Butch received a prize position at his grandfather's car dealership with little to no expectations. He also earned a weekly salary from his father, regardless of his attendance or job performance at work. Butch funneled his salary into his new car, another present from his parents, as well as guns, alcohol, and drugs. His bizarre behavior seemed to only get worse over time. He even threatened a friend with a rifle during a hunting trip, then later that day acted as if nothing happened. He also attempted to shoot his father with a 12-gauge shotgun, during a fight between his parents. Butch pulled the trigger at point-blank range, but the gun malfunctioned. His surprised father abruptly ended the argument, but was frightened by the confrontation. 
Little did he know, this was a cosmic warning to the deadly fate that lay ahead for his family. By 1974, Butch's parents continued to be in denial over their son's psychotic behavior and used money as a distraction from their problems. Big Ronnie, a proud man, liked to flaunt his wealth. A few of the employees at the dealership had been invited to the DeFeo's home for parties over the years, and it was apparent that based on the house itself, the family's cars, pool, and elegant furniture, that this was a family living well beyond their means. Butch, with an overflated ego like his dad, felt irritated by the modest wage he was being paid by the car dealership. He decided that if his family wouldn't pay him a higher salary, he would embezzle the money instead. In late October, the dealership entrusted him with the responsibility of depositing more than $20,000 to the bank. Instead, Butch planned a mock robbery with a friend, agreeing to split the money evenly with his buddy. The plan went off without a hitch until the police came to the dealership to question him. Instead of calmly answering the police's questions, Butch became defensive and angry. The cops, suspicious that he was lying, asked him to come down to the station to review mugshots, but he refused. His father began to suspect that he might have committed the robbery himself. But when Big Ronnie questioned his son about the lack of cooperation, Butch threatened to kill him instead. Misfortune continued to haunt the family, and Butch's younger brother, Mark, was injured in September during a local football game. The injury had rendered him almost paralyzed, and he had to use a wheelchair or crutches to get around. However, the doctors were hopeful he would one day walk again, and he required weekly physical therapy. On November 13th, Big Ronnie told his staff that he had to take Mark to a doctor's appointment, and he would probably be back around 3 p.m., it would be the last time they would see him alive. In the early morning hours of November 13th, 1974, Butch DeFeo would make good on his previous threats. Using a 35 caliber Marlin rifle from his secret gun stash, he entered his parents' bedroom and shot them both while they slept. He then crept into his brother's bedroom, shooting both of them in their beds. Next, he would shoot his two little sisters, who peacefully slept, unaware of the tragic fate that awaited them. All the murders took place within 15 minutes. Butch DeFeo, after slaying his family, would quickly shower and dress for work. He carefully collected his bloody clothing and placed the gun that killed his family in a pillowcase. He would later dump the evidence in a storm drain on his way back to work at his grandfather's dealership. What caused Butch DeFeo's psychotic break that day is still unknown. However, he was born with the life path number six vibration and he was deeply affected by his father's cruel behavior and constant verbal, physical, and emotional abuse. 
Like most sociopaths, Butch could be charming but was very manipulative. From an astrological perspective, he was born under the zodiac sign of Libra, but had Moon, Mars, and Pluto in obsessive Leo. Butch had a huge ego with a terrible temper. Together, it was a toxic combination, and it fueled his hatred for his father and the family who failed to protect him. Once he arrived at work, Butch was careful not to raise suspicion and pretended he wasn't aware that his father hadn't shown up for work. Around lunchtime, he left the dealership to go hang out with his friends at a local bar and to establish an alibi. He even called his home several times and would complain later to his buddies how concerned he was that no one was answering the phone. After a few hours, Butch left. According to the book American Mass Murderers by Valerie Plaza, DeFeo re-entered the bar around 6.30 p.m. yelling, You gotta help me. I think my mother and father have been shot. Some patrons followed him back to the house on Ocean Avenue and became a witness to the horrifying murder scene inside the home. All six members of the DeFeo family were found lying face down on their stomachs. It appeared that they had all been shot at close range with a high-powered rifle. However, some things didn't quite add up. There were no signs of struggle or evidence that they had been drugged. No neighbors reported hearing any gunshots, only the DeFeo's family dog barking into the night. When police arrived, a Suffolk County detective questioned Butch and asked who he thought would want to kill his entire family. He told him a mafia hitman named Louis Fellini might have been responsible. Butch claimed the mobster had a dispute with his father over some previous work the dealership had done for him. He told police, unable to sleep, he had stayed up late watching TV and decided to go into work early. He said when he left that morning, his family was still alive and gave details of his whereabouts for the remainder of the day. After listening to his story, police placed Butch in protective custody as they searched for the murder suspects. After the police carefully searched the family's house, they realized Butch was lying. They found an empty box for a recently purchased 35 caliber Marlin gun in his bedroom, and his story quickly began to fall apart. After reviewing the evidence and pulling the timeline together, the police concluded that the murders must have taken place early in the morning. The family had all still been wearing their pajamas, so it couldn't have happened earlier in the day, as Butch initially claimed, and this meant he was at home at the time of the murders. When authorities questioned Butch about the new evidence, he began changing his story. He said that Louis Fellini and an accomplice had appeared at his family home early that morning and put a gun to his head. He then said they dragged him from room to room as they murdered his family. As the story unraveled, Butch finally broke down, stating, Once I started, I just couldn't stop, he said. It went so fast. One year after the murders, Ron Butch DeFeo's trial began on October 14, 1975. His attorney, William Weber, attempted an insanity plea for his defense. His expert witness, Dr. Daniel Schwartz, a psychiatrist, supported the claim, stating that Butch was neurotic and suffered from a dissociative disorder. However, 
The psychiatrist for the prosecution, Dr. Harold Zolan, proved that Butch had an antisocial personality disorder. The illness made him the defendant aware of his actions, but he was motivated by a self-centered attitude. According to mentalhealth.gov, the cause of antisocial personality disorder is unknown. Genetic factors and environmental factors, such as child abuse, are believed to contribute to the development of this condition. Also, individuals with antisocial or alcoholic parents are at an increased risk. Butch, who suffered severe abuse as a child, must have been one of the contributing factors to why he killed his family that terrible evening. Jurors agreed with the prosecution, and on November 21st, 1975, they found Ron Butch DeFeo guilty on six counts of second-degree murder. He was sentenced to six consecutive life sentences and sent to Greenhaven Correctional Facility in Beacom, New York. However, that would not be the end of the story for the Amityville home on Ocean Avenue. shocking murders, the Amityville home remained vacant for over a year. But that all changed when the realtor showed the home to the Lutz family in November 1975. She initially hesitated to tell them about the tragic history of 112 Ocean Avenue. However, she was required to do so and reluctantly told the Lutz family they were standing in the home where the DeFeo murders took place. At first, the Lutzes were concerned, but after careful consideration, George and Kathy decided to purchase the home, feeling they could live with its tragic past. Due to the home's creepy history, it was sold way below market value for a mere $80,000 to the Lutzes, and they moved in on December 18, 1975. According to AmityvilleFiles.com, because of the property's grim reputation, a friend of George's suggested the house should be blessed by a priest. Father Ray came to bless the home before the family moved in. Before he left the house, though, he told George, You know, I felt something really strange in that one upstairs bedroom. And it was the bedroom where the two little DeFeo boys were murdered. George assured the priest they weren't going to use it as a bedroom, and it would be a sewing room instead. Father Ray said, That's good, as long as no one sleeps in there and he left. A month before the murders, Big Ronnie believed there was something off about the home and placed two Holy Spirit statues in front of the house to offer some protection, but were later removed by George, who found them creepy. Once the family moved in, a supernatural hold immediately took over the home. George would wake up at 3.15 a.m. every night, the exact time Ronald Butch DeFeo Jr. killed his entire family. Each night, ghostly figures would be seen wandering inside the home when it was supposed to be empty. Cold spots were discovered in random areas throughout the house. The family also claimed to have seen slime coming out of the walls, knives being thrown off the kitchen counters, and doors slamming. 
The escalating chain of spooky events took its toll on the Lutzes and created tension in the home, fueling drastic personality changes. George began to seclude himself from the family, obsessed over the fireplace that never seemed to warm him enough. Kathy claimed to have frequent nightmares about the murders and bore witness to the DeFeo children being shot. She would later find a secret red room behind a bookcase, and even the family dog was afraid to go near it. One of their children began speaking to an imaginary friend, a little boy named Jody. Even the Lutz children began to argue more than usual, resulting in terrible beatings from their parents. The last night the Lutz family spent in the home was, in George's words, the reason not to stay there anymore. He was lying in bed and everyone was asleep, and Kathy began to levitate off the bed. George said, I feel something get in the bed with us. I'm unable to move. I hear the kids' bed slamming up and down on the floor and being dragged. The lights continued to flicker most in the night, and I even brought the family dog upstairs. The next morning, the frightened kids asked what happened, but Kathy had no memory of the paranormal activities the night before. In the end, it was too much for the Lutz family to handle, and they moved out on January 14, 1976. Rumors swirled in the Amityville community after hearing the family's story, and many wondered, could the house really be haunted? Still, many were skeptical and believed that George was deeply in debt. Perhaps he made up a crazy story that the house was haunted by the dead spirits of the DeFeo family. But one has to ask, if you're truly in debt, why would you buy a home in the first place and leave all your furniture and personal belongings inside? To prove they weren't lying, George and Kathy took a lie detector test, and they passed. After they fled the Amityville home, the Lutzes contacted a husband and wife paranormal investigation team, Ed and Lorraine Warren, who were the founders of the New England Society for Psychic Research, established in 1952. Ed was a World War II United States Navy veteran and former police officer who became a self-taught and self-professed demonologist, author, and lecturer. Lorraine was a clairvoyant and a transmedium who worked closely with her husband. Together, they had published several books about their work investigating demonic forces. But they gained fame in the 1970s when their work investigating hauntings became known. On February 24, 1976, the Warrens brought a television crew from New York's Channel 5 to investigate the strange events at 112 Ocean Avenue in Amityville just six weeks earlier. Lorraine stated she immediately felt an overwhelming sense of sadness throughout the home. After entering the basement, Ed felt a powerful evil spirit pushing him down towards the floor, and immediately he knew this was not an ordinary ghost. 
After conducting their initial investigation, the Warrens put together a psychic team to assist them in their findings. During the first seance, one of the psychics, Mary Pescarella, also became ill and was ushered out of the room. There seems to be some kind of black shadow that forms ahead and it moves, Mary claimed, and as it moves, I feel personally threatened. Another psychic made similar claims during the seance. It's upstairs in the bedroom, she said. What's here makes your heart speed up. My heart's pounding. Lorraine Warren warned, Whatever is here is most definitely of a negative nature. It has nothing to do with anyone who has once walked the earth in human form. It is right from the bowels of the earth. Whatever is here is able to move around at will. It doesn't have to stay here, but I think it is a resting place. The Warrens felt the house could only be saved through a cleansing performed by a Roman Catholic priest. However, George and Kathy Lutz weren't willing to take on this responsibility. They believed they could be putting their lives in jeopardy and couldn't risk moving the children back into the troubled home. After several months of trying to sell the house, they returned the property to Columbia Savings and Loan on August 30, 1976. The Lutz's shocking story inspired Jay Anson's 1977 book, The Amityville Horror, as well as the 1979 original movie and the 2005 remake. Today, there are 18 different films about the house, the most recent one being Amityville, The Awakening, starring Bella Thorne. Several documentaries have also been made, including some that feature Ron Butch DeFeo Jr. For George and Kathy Lutz, they eventually divorced in 1988. Kathy passed away in 2004 at the age of 58 in Scottsdale, Arizona. George passed away two years later at the age of 59 in Las Vegas, Nevada. Although some people believe the Amityville haunting was a hoax, Christopher, who was seven when his mom Kathy and stepfather moved into the home, has an interesting opinion. In a Seattle Times interview in 2005, he stated, So far there's been three representations of what happened in that house, and not one of them is accurate. Christopher clearly maintains the haunting was not a hoax, but he insists his stepfather at the time, George Lutz, brought the trouble on himself by dabbling in the occult and then amplified what paranormal incidents did occur to profit off of books and movies about the house. He said when the family moved into the house in 1975, George Lutz was extremely curious of everything paranormal and tried to summon supernatural beings by chanting. However, he insists he did have run-ins with the paranormal, including the time he saw a presence as definite as a shadow in the shape of a man that moved toward him and then dissipated and believes there was something evil living in the Amityville home. What we did find is whatever possessed Ronald Butch DeFeo to murder his family is actually considered a phenomenon. In her book, The Phenomenon of Parasite, Kathleen M. Heidi outlines three types of parasite offenders, the severely abused, the dangerously antisocial, and the severely mentally ill. 
The severely abused, the most common type of adolescent offender, commits parricide as a way of ending a cycle of abuse that has lasted many years. The dangerously antisocial individuals kill their parents because they see them as an obstacle to a goal or desire, such as money or freedom from rules. The severely mentally ill, these individuals have history of severe depression. They may experience delusions or hallucinations that lead them to kill their parents. Butch, however, since being convicted of the murder of his family, has changed his story several times and even once stated his sister Dawn was actually the one who killed their parents. In 1990, he filed a 440 motion, a proceeding to have his conviction vacated. In support of his motion, Butch claimed that Dawn and an unknown assailant shot his family. He said the only person he killed was Dawn and that it was by accident as they struggled over the rifle. However, Judge Stark denied the motion, writing, I find the testimony of the defendant overall to be false and fabricated. In 2019, Ron Butch DeFeo Jr. is currently held at the Sullivan Correctional Facility in the town of Fallsburg, New York, and all of his appeals and requests to the parole board have been denied. Over four decades later, the chilling tale of the former DeFeo home on Ocean Drive continues to attract tourists curious to see the haunted Amityville house for themselves. The debate over the accuracy of the story continues to fuel speculation. The various owners of the house since the Lutz family left in 1976 have reported no problems while living there. James Cromarty, who bought the house in 1976 and lived there with his wife Barbara for 10 years, commented, Nothing weird ever happened except for people coming by because of the book and the movie. In 2010, Caroline and David D'Antonio bought the home for $950,000, undertaking a substantial renovation. The creepy windows on the top floor that looked like demonic eyes were removed, and the address was changed from 112 Ocean Avenue to 108. However, many still believe that evil lurks inside the home. For Daniel Lutz, who was only nine years old at the time he lived there, States firmly something terrible happened in Amityville. Now a UPS driver in Queens, he's still deeply traumatized by his past. In a 2013 documentary, Daniel insists that the haunting was real and he blames it largely on his stepfather, George Lutz, who followed the occult and someone he blames for the tragedy. For the Amityville home, it was sold once again in 2017 for $605,000 by the D'Antonio family at a $345,000 loss, according to Zillow.com, and is still considered one of the most haunted homes in America. Our show notes, along with links to the news articles and interviews we used in researching and writing this episode, are available on our website at deathbymisadventure.co.uk. The show's hosts included the talented Eduardo Fahey in London, England, 
Tom Dre in Long Beach, California, and myself, I'm JC Nova, also based in LBC. This podcast was recorded at Skywave Studios in Hollywood by sound engineer Edwin Arzu and produced by Cosmic Media. A special thanks to Christopher Lang, our audio producer in Tucson, Arizona, who helps bring each episode to life. Kudos to Paulina of Upper Planet. She's responsible for the design of our super cool website. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Death by Misadventure Podcast. This has been Death by Misadventure. Thanks for listening. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.